Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? And this episode's got a lot of juice to it. Not just because Andy has a lot of notes. It's got a lot of juice to it. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You're going to throw me some curveballs? Like, ev- like every week. All right, ready? All right. Fleep, we yeah. test your mic? Yes. Thanks, Fleep. Are we recording? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hello and welcome to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 37. What a day to be alive. Philippe is back from the Sunshine State. I am getting ready to head south of the border. Andy's got a big appointment next week to get a new set of dentures. We are living large and taking charge. Uh, Andy, Philippe, how is it? Philippe, how was Florida? It was good. It was very good. The most important important, you know, appointment I've got next week is to take care of you know, the, the hemorrhoid problem. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I was talking about you, Philippe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Philippe's the hemorrhoid. Anyway, Florida. Philippe, you went down for National Pro League? Yes. Did your kids use any skill? They did. Um, to be honest, the, the conditions were a little rough, very windy, you know, we played on grass, it was the third weekend back-to-back of tournaments down there, because the girls went the weekend Hold on, before. hold on, hold on. What? The conditions were a little rough. We played on grass. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's uh, 2023, let me, Andy. <laughs> let me finish, please. Like, he never See, lets me finish. They, the so, the grass the favelas, was... They play on concrete in the favelas. They never... That was a preferable. That was a preferable surface. Well, I did. Not if you can't see kid. Philippe's face, he's pissed right now. No, it's just like not. I did. Not the kids here. The kids in Kansas City are very spoiled because they play on turf every single time, and you know the the fields were a little rough. Uh, there was more dirt than grass, especially in the midfield, um, and it, very windy. So, but they did. They they, they still play, use skill. They still use skill. You know, maybe not as successful as they do on turf, and but they they did they did, and it was good. They played really good, and you know, came out of there with two wins. We are a tie away uh, to make it to nationals. So go on, for that. well done, Felipe. I, I actually had a note to recognize Philippe's achievement. You know, or the the, the boys' achievement. You know, in we haven't achieved tie. we haven't achieved anything yet. Yeah, but being one tie away from qualifying for nationals, I mean, even that's you know incredibly special. Which I made a note here just goes to show that sometimes a soccer team can achieve something really special despite the coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so I, lear- I learned it all from you. So that says something. I saw that joke coming from about a mile away. <laughs> Is that all? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it, you know, another topical thing. You know, let's let's go into the uh, you know the big thing that happened in Kansas City. That's over, right. Over the last few days, you know, the Chiefs, yeah. you know, winning the Super Bowl again. Yep. You know, so this is becoming uh, you know you know a a consistent part of the dynasty that is centered around Patrick Mahomes, and and uh, kind of in honor of that, I looked up some jokes about when I moved into Here town. Here we go. About when I moved into town, about Philippe, can you do like a check on and see like what does our listenership do when Andy says, "Hey, I've got a few jokes." To, <laughs> I to mean, please, go, please go make share. a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom. <laughs> please, <laughs> please reach out and, and let us know. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about Andy's jokes? <laughs> anyway, you know, back in the 1980s when I moved into Kansas City, the Chiefs were a bit of a laughing stock. I went to a game one time. There's maybe 28,000 fans in the stands. You know, and I only went because I was dating a cheerleader at the time, and I went to watch her, not the football. This was you know? just Andy's opportunity to share that he once dated a Chiefs cheerleader. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> enough said. <laughs> anyway, here's a few of the jokes that were rolling around at the time that that I I found in uh, you know a history of the the Chiefs and the internet. Um, 
my wife was about to buy my baby daughter a Chiefs jersey until we realized it was a choking hazard. (laughs) 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 What do the Chiefs and the mailman have in common? Neither deliver on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) How do you keep a Kansas City Chiefs player out of your yard? Put up goalposts. What's the best way to teach your dog to roll over and play dead? Have him watch a Chiefs game. (laughs) What's the difference between a Kansas City Chiefs fan and a carp? You know, the fish? Andy, I'm not laughing with you. I'm laughing at you. (laughs) Okay, good. good. (laughs) That's for the story of your life, hasn't it? What is the difference between a Kansas City Chiefs fan and a carp? You know, the fish, a carp. When you have to explain what a carp is, it already defeats the joke. Uh, what's great is, is Philippe's accent says carp so much better than Andy says cap. <laughs> hey, when you can speak English, talk to me. Uh, what is the difference between, a, for the third time, what, what is the difference between a Kansas City Chiefs fan and a carp? One is a bottom-feeding scum sucker, and the other is a fish. Um, what do you call a Kansas City Chiefs fan at the Super Bowl? Every, every three and four years, I guess, yeah. Ref. Okay. Where do you go to K- in KC in the case of a tornado? Arrowhead Stadium, they never get touchdowns there. <laughs> <laughs> How bad are they? <laughs> the Chiefs were awful in the 80s, 90s better. And now they're kings of the castle. I'm sure that our listenership, most of which are probably not Chiefs fans, if they are football fans, they probably don't like the Chiefs because they win all the time. But everybody has to appreciate Patrick Mahomes because that guy is a stud. Um, And we got to see that again over the weekend. Um, You know, the episode today, I think, is a... It's a good one. It's it's maybe going to be my favorite episode, favorite topic. I think oftentimes we've sprinkled it into conversations throughout the last 36 episodes that we've done here on Coaching Inside the Box. But Andy Andy puts it best when he talks about you have to you have to figure out how you're going to climb the mountain from the top backward, right? If you plan out your your route from the bottom up, you might never get to your key objective, to your main goal, to your main um, uh, uh, idea of what you want to accomplish. And as a coach, we all have a main goal. We have all have a main objective. And I think uh, it's a big statement. We make a lot of big statements around here. Um, but I think that as a club, from a coaching philosophy perspective, nobody has a more clearly defined top of the mountain objective and mission than we do. And Andy started it. And, and so many of us have carried the torch, uh, over the last few decades, um, from that perspective. But, but the, the mission or the objective that we have is that soccer is a vehicle for teaching life lessons. We as coaches, we as club directors, our, our uh, objective entirely is built around helping kids to become fantastic adults, but more than just, some empty saying like that, soccer is a vehicle for teaching life lessons. It's very specific and narrow. We want our kids to become brave, creative leaders for life. It's as simple as that. And every single thing that we do from a coaching philosophical perspective, from a training uh, uh, perspective, from a, uh, from a coaching before, during, and after games perspective is built to help kids become more brave, more willing to take on risk, willing to go for it, comfortable in perhaps maybe not achieving or maybe, maybe making a mistake or failing. We want our kids to become more creative. When presented a problem initially on the field, but eventually in all facets of life, we want kids to look at that problem and think, oh, I'll come up with a new, unique, creative way to solve this. And kids that are, or adults that are not risk averse, willing to embrace out of the out of their comfort zone, challenging moments. Um, look at these problems in a creative way. Those are the leaders, and those leaders um, uh, can change the world, can move us positively um, from a society perspective. Um, Andy, when when you started to, we're going to go deep in the history, and then we'll come forward to all the notes you have in front of you. But when you started your coaching journey. Initially, I assume it was a soccer journey. At some point, it changed for you. At some point, your objective no longer was to develop or to win the next game, uh, no longer was to develop the, the, to help every kid achieve their, their, their ceiling on the soccer field, but it became built around brave, creative leadership. Do you have a, a recollection? Was that a moment in time or was it a, 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 a genesis that, that happened and morphed over time? It, it was a genesis, but 
you know your your introduction there uh, leads me into um, you know, referring back again to the Chiefs, you know, but in a very serious developmental way this time. Um, in the past year, we've seen the the Chiefs, you know, win the Super Bowl, and you know everybody was you know predicting doom and gloom last year when Tyreek Hill left the franchise, you know, because he was such a big points getter. And then, you know, similarly, you know, when, you know, McCall Hardman, you know, had his injury problems, you know, and ended out being out for the, you know, the last part of the regular season as well as the Super Bowl, once again, doom and gloom, you know, because he was such a big player up until that point in the Chiefs system. And, you know, yet without those players, the Chiefs, you know, have been able to win the big one, you know, and, you know, why is it that they've been able to win win the big one? And it's quite simply, you know, game to game, even with a nasty injury, the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, they've shown us how one special team leader can inspire everybody, not just, you know, obviously the team, but the whole community, you know, and, you know, the value of Mahomes goes way deeper than just you know, throw in a, you know, a hand egg ball around the football field. You know, it, you know, how is Patrick Mahomes relevant to what we're discussing today, which is soccer as a vehicle to life lessons? And his, my opinion is that in soccer, every player has to be a Patrick Mahomes. You know, in the higher up the levels of soccer you get, you can't just be, you know, a win it and kick it out of bounds defender. You know, you've got to be a defender that is able to break lines and transition into the attack and, you know, perhaps get the winning goal or, you know, get a great assist, you know. And the classic Brazilian team, you know, was, you know, the one that contained Roberto Carlos, you know, as a left fullback in 2002. You know, he could get forward and, you know, literally score goals from the corner flag, you know, in one instance. You know, his ability was just incredible. His shooting ability, his dribbling ability, you know, you know, he would have been playing on most national teams as a striker as their number 10 <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. yeah you know and you know because they wouldn't have anybody that was close to as strong as he was but you know in that brazilian team he was a left fullback and you know what what we um in soccer have is a sport that shares out possession in a very egalitarian way it's very fair and everybody gets their chance to be the quarterback you know and honestly i really pity football linemen i mean who plays a game and never touches the ball in their game, in the majority of games that they play? Never touch the ball. You know, the whole point of being in a game where there is a ball, I you know, really have to believe, is at least to you know, get some touches on the ball. I never played in a game of rugby where I didn't touch the ball. And I was a hooker. I was the equivalent of a linesman. I was in the middle of the scrum just because I was quick with my feet and that was needed in that position. You know, but I still got to touch the ball a lot in the game of rugby. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, and I watch a lot of these football players and they literally don't touch the ball for a whole game. And that would drive me crazy you know, in a ball game. And you've always been a ball toucher. Yeah, I don't know how to deal with, deal with that comment. <laughs> yeah. uh, just yeah. going off of what Andy's saying, this weekend down in Florida, you know, we were having a team dinner, and one of the parents, uh, he played college football, and he brought it up exactly what Andy just said, uh, saying that the thing he loves about soccer the most is that everybody gets to be a leader. He literally used the same words. And he used football, his sport, that he played all his life. He played in college. He coached for a little bit. He said, in, you can say whatever you want, but in football, the leader is the quarterback. Everybody else is pretty much a soldier. Even the guys that are receiving the ball, they're running around that they're told to. You know, they might improvise here and there, but the leader is the quarterback. And even basketball, every ball pretty much goes through the point guard. So the other players have similar to soccer have opportunities to to lead and to do something but every possession got to start with the point guard he dictates everything and in soccer as any said is completely egalitarian so it was very nice to see somebody that came from a different sport background uh, the sport that is the most popular in this country you know look at soccer and see the beauty of it in that sense it's it's beautiful. Everybody has a chance to make the winning goal, to make the big play, and to you know to do great things. And as Andy said, it's egalitarian. 
And and the Philadelphia quarterback I thought was great. And, oh, you know, fantastic. In, in you know, and in a in a weird irony, as we saw with the final throw of the game where he was unable to get any more than 30, 40 yards, he was dealing with a nasty shoulder injury. Yeah. You know, so he couldn't you know launch it like he would have done previously to his injury, seventy or eighty yards down the field. You know, with a you know chance of winning that alley oop. You know, and, and scoring that you know that Super Bowl deciding touchdown. You know, but uh, you know he was very aptly named hurt. You know, because <laughs> you know he was hurt, and you know it turned out in the final analysis that his injury was actually probably more serious in terms of winning the Super Bowl than Mahomes' injury. Because Mahomes was still able to run, you know, for a crucial, it was 26 yards late said, in the game. Yeah, Mahomes said, as long as I was running straight, we were in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but, you know, here's, here's my observation to, to build on what Philippe was saying. Um, you know, so take the football game. Would the Chiefs have won without Mahomes? No. Uh, you know, but would Philly have won if they'd have had a fully fit hurt at quarterback? You know, so probably, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, so let's go back to the World Cup. Would Argentina have won the World Cup without their version of Patrick Mahomes? No. Leo they would Messi. have got out in the group stage. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they would have lost, you know, a close game. You know, they wouldn't have got, you know, the tie that they got. You know, they, they would have not been in, in the final, probably. You know, but then again, would France have won in 2018 and finished second without Kylian Mbappe? No. Not without that production. So no. even in you know a more egalitarian, a more fair game, egalitarian game like soccer, you know, we still have to have our quarterbacks. We still have to have these super special players. You know, even though the game and you know the ability to win the game is spread out across a greater number of players, we still need those Patrick Mahomes-type players at the highest level. Well, this is what we as the Legends Club develop across the board. Every player in our club is taught to be a mini version of Leo Messi, a mini version of Kylian Mbappe, so that anyone on any given day can step up and make that Mahomes-like, that Mbappe-like, that Leo Messi-like play. You know, under pressure in the clutch, it, it, does that make sense? Yeah, but I, but the, you're still on the soccer field too much. You're still in the field of play too much for me. I remember at some point, and I, it would have been in high school, but you know, it was a common practice where we would train soccer for a bit, and then Andy would come around, and we would sit and we would listen to Andy pontificate, Andy to to motivate, to inspire, whatever it might be. And you got on a kick for for a period of time, so much so that it's really stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I've given it, I've given the same speech to players that I coach. Um, but your point in, in to us as high schoolers was, guys, the point of this is not soccer. The point of this is so much more than soccer. And what I want is I want for each and every one of you, when you finish college or you move out into, into the career world and you're working for a company, I want you to be um, uh, sat there at the end of the boardroom. Boss comes in, CEO comes in and says, hey, company's going under. We need a Hail Mary. We need somebody to come up with a, a, an idea, an idea that saves us, that keeps us moving, that keeps us going. And even if you've only been with that company, only on that team for a few months, I want you to be the type of person, you to be the type of, of personality, you to be the type of leader that would stick your hand in the air is, I got an idea. Let's try this. Let's go for this. And that idea is going to be uh, perhaps fraught with risk, you know, but you're not scared of failing. Um, that idea is not going to be conventional. It's going to be creative. It's going to be out-of-the-box thinking. It's going to be a new, unique perspective on something. And I want you to have the confidence to, despite maybe everybody else around that boardroom table um, having more experience, but you have the confidence that, hey, I've got an idea and I can lead us through this, this process, this, this, this possibility. And that was the objective. That was the mountaintop that even 16, 17-year-old Andrew heard from you and said, okay, I can get behind this. Now I understand why I'm dribbling. Now I understand why I'm um, developing a self-concept on the soccer field that's going to benefit me greatly off of the soccer field. Can I read this? Sure. Because your lead-in was brilliant for, for this piece. And I, I call it setting the stage. The Legends program is these days about developing character. It distinguishes between deep, meaningful character on the one hand 
and the loose usage of character to describe entertainers that means personality and no more. One is substance, the other is style. Only people of substance can change the world. By developing deep, meaningful character in children, we can influence the world in many different and positive ways. We refer to jokesters as characters. These characters will probably not influence the world in meaningful ways. Their contribution may be notable, but perhaps not tremendously negative or positive. Deep and abiding character can be optimized in children with extremely diverse genetic imprints and sociological backgrounds. The methods used by the legend soccer club are the results of questioning tradition, intelligent innovation, and practical teaching experience. A developmental process lasting in excess of 30 years during which I have come full circle, this is an answer of your question, from the traditional win-oriented approach in child sports to a vision of character as mentoring that approaches the soccer domain from a wider perspective than the sport itself. The players developed in the years where character has been the major focus have been bigger winners from both a statistical and life perspective, which is the real key. You know, we're developing winners, but it's not about the final stat. It's about, you know, how we prepared you and the other players in the Legends program to go on in life and, you know, with a positive, productive mentality, even in the toughest moments, make the best of sometimes bad situations, you know, because you built that leadership, that deep, all-abiding character that you could parlay into success out of failure, turning things around when things look bleak, you know, and that's the type of character that really determines the quality of each and every individual and their eventual positive or negative impact on the world. But the the thing is that is 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 you're gonna if we went around and asked coaches of any sport, but let's stick to soccer because that's what this is. Most of them would would deliver lines that 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 suggest that 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 character development um, and helping kids to become um, positive contributors to society is is at the core of of what they want to do. The point that I'm wanting to make today, and I want it to be really crystal clear. Is that if you if you're coaching a get it and give it a play the way you face a my best player stays on the field for the entire time and uh, my worst player um, has to earn his playing time right if that's the type of coaching style that a coach is employing you are not developing the type of character within your players that will serve them and society even close to its as their potential could be. If you're not encouraging players to get out of their comfort zone, if you're not encouraging players to take risks, if you're not encouraging players to dribble and dribble and dribble until they eventually get really good at it and they don't develop a self-concept that's like, give me the ball, I've got it, I can make this happen. If you're not developing that across your entire team, you're not you're not developing the type of character within individuals that that our society needs. You're just paying lip service to a character development or a program that you're running so that you can win the games or, be, or for whatever whatever the, the 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 reason behind it is. Without deceptive dribbling as a number one, you are limiting the leadership or brave creative leadership that can happen within players. And that I think that's a really important. D- d- uh, distinction that needs to be made. Well, I'll just give you an example. Well, when I was down in Florida right now, and the three teams that we played, you know, when we play the three games in Austin, the three teams that we played in Austin played soccer. They played good soccer. You know, they weren't. One of them had two kids in the midfield that were incredibly skillful, like fantastic players. The other ones was was a more traditional passing soccer, but still they try to possess, they try to play, they try to build out of the back. The two teams, the three teams we played in in Florida right now had two big kids in the back, two big kids up top. Those were the four really good. It it was crazy. The three teams were exactly the same. And 
all they did was crowd the midfield. These two kids in the back were big, strong, fast, really hard to penetrate. And the two kids up top, extremely dangerous because they were, you know, kids that already hit a growth spur and they're extremely fast, extremely strong. All they did was get the ball, play long all the time, all the time. And it's hard to play against that because some of my kids have, haven't grown yet. So they can't keep up yeah, with yeah. that speed. Especially at that, U14. Yeah, they can't keep up with that speed and that, that strength. And, you know, it's tough. It makes it really tough. Uh, for us, and you know, they crowd the midfield. They have, t you know, two, you know, big things in the back that it's hard to penetrate, and they just launch it big all things, the time. Big things in the back. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, so true, isn't it? <laughs> they are, you know, they're, they're, they're things, and some, <laughs> they're not thinking human beings. And, so, and, and that's they're the just thing. monsters. One, for example, the third team we played, <laughs> one of the center backs were was really good on the ball. I mean very very good player but i mean he's being limited and he could do so much more you know because you could see the kid was left-footed great touch you know vision and all that but all he did was play along to the other big kids that were monsters up top and you know it's effective you know they made it to a national league pro playing that way you know they won a few games and stuff and you know, it, it works, especially at that kind of age. But once all the teams catch up and all the kids catch up and grow, the teams that play soccer, especially a team that plays the right way of teaching soccer to kids, you know, it's not going to even be close. Sure. Because they're going to lose that advantage, that physical <laughs> advantage. And even if it's not about soccer, those kids are going to go on to, to impact the world in, in much more positive, creative ways um, because they had to be creative on the field. They're taking soccer e was the vehicle to they're teach They're taking the an easier route, easier route. So yeah. they're going to be used to taking an easier route. Yep. You know, I'm bigger, stronger, and faster. I'm just going to try to outrun everybody. Yep. And, you know, that's not the way life works. Yeah. We, we, will you allow me to get a little bit more theoretical and, and academic about this? You know, we're doing a good job moving through your notes, to be completely honest. We've yeah, so um, through a process of cognitive education and practical experience, we introduce all of our Legends players to Leonardo da Vinci's seven principles as follows. Number one, an insatiably curious approach to life and an unrelenting quest for continuous learning. So it's not about winning games. It's about asking questions of yourself, your teammates, you know, and pushing the edge of the envelope, which involves, honestly, a lot of losing games because it involves a lot of risk. Number two, a commitment to test knowledge through experience, persistence, and a willingness to learn from mistakes. That ability in life is so valuable, that bounce back, that fail upwards ability is, you know, worth way more than a stupid game kicking a ball around. You know, you know, this can define a life, you know, even when you're fighting cancer at 80 something years of age, it can define whether you survive or die because, you know, if you're not willing to, you know, really put it out there and you know, and, and enter into, you know, a, an intelligent course of treatment and give it your all and show the character, you're probably not going to survive, you know, and, you know, and even if you do, you might not survive, but you've got a vastly better chance of living a long and healthy life if you internalize these capabilities. Number three, a continual refinement of the senses, especially sight, as the means to enliven experience. Number four, a willingness to embrace ambiguity, paradox, and uncertainty. This is our emphasis on chaos. Yeah, lack of structure. Lack of structure. Bats yeah. in a cave. Yeah. You know, throw the most chaotic situ situation out there. Let them make sense of it instead of throwing a pattern play out there they have to use in this circumstance. Last night, my, my, can I build off of, of what you just said? Last night, my training session, my 2013s, we had 13 of us. We were on one of our tiny fields, right? We played 2v2. Um, it was kind of the first time I'd really introduced them to really crowded 2v2s. Um, there were three games of 2v2s going. So there were, what, 12 kids playing 2v2 plus a keeper on one end and me playing keeper on the other. And it was 
chaos. And I brought the kids yeah. together and we talked about it and they were like, this is, it's too, there's too many people. And I go, no, there's not like, you'll get it figured out. And by three, four rounds later, like they're playing, they're smiling, they're having a good time leading into what we'll talk about next one. The dopamine release that comes from training in this style, they were having fun, but they had to become comfortable being super uncomfortable um, on the front end of it. Yeah, and it's amazing how quickly the human organism is capable of reacting. Especially kids. And responding. Yeah. Yep. You know, they are so pliable yeah. that kids that are moaning and groaning a few rounds earlier, or, you know, a few rounds later are celebrating, a, you know, an incredibly quick, you know, incisive marathoner turn, you know, a penetrating pass and a wonderful finish, you know, because they never thought it was possible to do that. You know, when there's literally three or four simultaneous games of two on two going on around them, you know, in a tiny space, you know. So, um, number four, a willingness to embrace, and this, you know, goes back to what we're we're talking about. Uh, you know, the ambiguity, the paradox, the uncertainty. Number five, uh, I read that again. <laughs> so, you know, it's worth repeating, maybe, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, my Alzheimer's is kicking in. <laughs> Andrew and I looked at each other and smiled, but I couldn't hold a laugh. Number four, a willingness to <laughs> <laughs> That was the best joke you ever told, Andy. Never heard Philly belly laugh before. <laughs> number four, a willingness to... <laughs> the, number, number five, the development of a balance between science and art. I'm still on the verge of laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the development of a balance between science and art, logic and imagination, otherwise known as whole brain thinking. You know, because the brain is, if you know anything about the brain, it's split into two different halves. I don't. And, you know, one half governs certain things. He only one has one half. <laughs> Are you sure he has that much? <laughs> Number six, the cultivation of grace, all-round physical expertise, fitness, and poise. You know, when do you hear grace, you know, in a philosophical statement on behalf of an organization? You know, it, it's just one of those things that in, in sports, especially competitive team sports, you know, is not mentioned much. Yes, it's mentioned in... You know, um, aesthetic sports, you know, like synchronized swimming. You know, you've got to be able to... That's what the one I would have used as the des description there, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, that's a massive example of grace, you know, in a you know, foreign environment, underwater. You know, and, and uh, it's, it's just incredible. Um, and finally, number seven, the recognition of and appreciation for the interconnectedness of all things and phenomena. This has been called systems thinking. So this is how your grace around physical expertise, fitness, and poise relates to the world. You know, and you know, that's the bigger picture that all of this plays into, which if we don't introduce our children to, we are doing them a massive disservice, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. You'd mentioned... Um uh, the 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 comeback. Uh, you didn't use the term comeback, and, and and I don't I don't remember which of the seven um, that you that you mentioned this, but the the willingness to get knocked down and bounce back up, right? And I think that's mentioned oftentimes by coaches. Right? That 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 crosses, I think, all sports um, as a value. You know, the the the, the ability to come back from um, from something. But <clears throat> the more you spend time as kids outside of your comfort zone then your brain, the muscle of your brain, gets to build, um, uh, gets to build, gets to build repetitions related to living outside of your comfort zone. And the ability to live outside of your comfort zone over a long period of time um, uh, expands your comfort zone. And, and I think that that's one of the greatest values for the way that we teach the game, um, or the way that we use the game to teach teach life is is that that our kids live so much of training outside of their comfort zone their comfort zone expands and it's not just a soccer value which is usually what we're talking about on this podcast but it's it's a life value as well 
Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when you think about our curriculum, the kids are always put under pressure and in situations that, you know, are very uncomfortable. They have lots of games going on. They have uh, not much space and, you know, it's physically exhausting as well. And, you know, you look at a soccer game, a professional soccer game in the EPL nowadays, they're running, what, 10 miles a game? And, you know, that level of physical exhaustion and having to perform uh, during that, those conditions, you know, it's also a characteristic of somebody that in life, they won't just quit. They won't, you know, see a challenge and quit and find a easy route. No, they no understand that they have to fight. They have to work. And we've been there. We've played soccer. We got exhausted and we had to keep going. We had to keep making the run forward to try to to get a penetrating pass in and, and and score a goal or you know we had to track back on defense to you know keep up the win or help your outside back that went up and you're the winger and you gotta sacrifice yourself to do that and you know when we do our 1v1s and 2v2s that happens constantly you know when you watch soccer one of the nowadays you you see one of the key things is transition how quickly when you lose the ball can you get organized or can you win it back and you know when we're playing 1v1s and 2v2s you lost the ball if you don't transition within one second you're done you get scored you get punished so i think all those things that happen in our curriculum in our drills in the things we do can easily be translated to the professional game and more importantly in life and when we talk about leadership development, there's a story you've told. I, you may have even shared it on this pod, but I think it's worth sharing again on this specific episode. Um, John Cuttis, uh, Aaron Cuttis, his oldest son, played on my Legends team. So he's a teammate of mine for my entire youth career, most likely. Um, uh, and when I say entire, I mean 6 to 18. So a very long time him and I were teammates. Oh, he was there before you. So, yeah, yeah He yeah, was yeah. like 4 to 18. But we couldn't have been teammates until I joined the team at 6. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so. and, and honestly, you never caught up. So you know, you weren't really teammates in the purest sense of the word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so J- John had three boys. Uh, two of them played for Legends uh, trained coaches, um, and a third did not. And I remember you sharing the story probably early days of my adulthood when we first started working together. Um, that John had called you while you were driving down the highway. Do you remember the story? It, I, I never know if you'll remember something that I tee up for. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, I try to forget most things involving you, but I do remember the story. Okay. <laughs> do you mind sharing it? <laughs> well, yeah. And, and John is one of these characters. He ran all the Merrill Lynch's in the Midwest. And he's one of these characters that you have to take seriously. You know, you know, there's certain people in your life that, you know, you can just, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. You know, John's one of these people that when he speaks, everybody in the surrounding area, listen, they stop what they're doing. You know, they they mentally put down the tools that they've been using, you know, and they focus totally on what he's saying. He has the ability to command the room, you know, um, if only because what he's saying always makes crystal clear sense. Does that aptly, you know, describe John? It sounds like you're describing me, but go on. (laughs) Oh, my God. You often meet people who've got a completely unrealistic understanding of their own talents, don't you? And I mean, that's just a classic example right there. Every I'm bit sorry. of my self-concept, I, you're my brain went on working, and, and <laughs> my brain started talking out loud. Okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that happens with Alzheimer's. <laughs> anyway, you know, but in addition to John, Jamie, his wife, was one of those, you know, lovely woman. Um, always, you know, stayed out of team politics totally supportive of the team entity, you know, and only ever, you know, a positive contributor to the team dynamic, you know, to the other parents, to the other kids, obviously to her own family, you know, just great people, you know, just, and, you know, John, you know, called me up one day and said, you know, we've looked at our three kids, you know, and to all intents and purposes, their whole life was really, really similar except for one huge difference. The first two, Aaron and Seth, were exposed to your Kansas City legends, go for it, big play, you know, make sense out of chaos, 
you know, um, think about the next thing, make it a positive, productive thing. You know, all of the, the things that weren't just buzz comments or buzzwords, you know, they go to the center, to the heart of deep character. And, you know, and, and John said, but our third born, Ryan, didn't have that. And yet he had everything else that both... Same parents. Yeah, same parents, same, same upbringing, same schools, same, schools. same teachers, in, you know, in some instances. He had everything else that, you know, Aaron and Seth had. You know, and so the one big difference was he didn't have the, the legend's way of relating to competitive challenge. You know, the chaotic way and, and solving problems under pressure in ways that are really antithetical to the way in which most coaches uh, approach the game, like Philippe was describing, you know, this, this week in Florida. And, you know, and, and he said we had to come to the conclusion that it was the legends that made the difference in our now adult sons who have been in, inordinately successful in life starting their own companies, never seeing a challenge they didn't think that they could handle, conquer, you know, and, you know, make profit out of. You know, I'm not just talking about financial profit. You know, I'm talking about spiritual profit, you know, growth in many different directions. You know, and, you know, and Seth went into the church. Yeah, he's a, a youth pastor. Oh, he's a leader. He's, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's now a massive leader within, you know, a church movement, you know, and so... Very different, you know, you know, both very successful, you know, but, um, you know, John said, we really believe after analyzing everything. And, you know, th this isn't, you know, like, you know, we've, we've, you know, pulled two parents out of the ghetto, uneducated people, you know, have made this observation. These are two of the most educated people we've ever had in our club that are making this observation, having really researched why it is they've got two kids that are one way and another kid that isn't that way. Well, and I don't think they were suggesting that Ryan wasn't successful. It was more just that Seth and Aaron are special from a leadership perspective. Like when they walk into a room, they immediately become um, the, the galvanizers of thought or of energy or movement, even if they're not trying to. Like it's just a part of who they are. So the, the, the best analogy for this I've ever come up with is chess. And if you look at the chessboard, there are pawns, and the pawns are, you know, the workers. You know, they're the ones that do the menial tasks. They're only allowed to move, you know, forward one square. Obviously, in the opening, you know, move, they can go two squares, but, you know, that's only forward two squares, you know, and, you know, and when they, you know, they take another piece, they can move diagonally, but they're very limited. They are the least valuable pieces on the chessboard. There's a lot of them. And, and they are often sacrificed in order to, you know, win a bigger piece from, from the opponent. You know, and there's a lot of people in life that live their life that way. They, they don't have a major impact on life. And then in chess, there's like the, the middle pieces, you know, and you would look at the middle pieces and you'd say that a knight, a bishop, a castle are the middle pieces in life. You know, and, you know, they're the ones that, yeah, they can make a, you know, a, a, a decent difference. And, you know, often they're very good in certain areas of life, you know, like family you know, and, and things of that nature. But they're not going to set the world on fire. You know, and, you know, there's the king and everybody rallies around the king and protects the poor king. But then there are on every chessboard, there's two amazing pieces. They are the queens, the black queen and the white queen. You know, and the analogy is that we in the Legends Club, we develop queens. We develop, you know, pieces that can make the big plays, that can literally move all the way across the chessboard, you know, either, you know, laterally, vertically, or diagonally, you know, and, you know, and attack the opponents at their weakest point, you know. And these people, these, these queens, are what we see in society. They are the university lecturers. They are the people like Seth Curtis who, who are running churches these days. They are people that, you know, that make the biggest difference. They are public servants in, you know, in many ways. You know, they're out to do, a, you know, a greater good for society, you know, and along the way make their own life very fulfilling, very special, you know. And 
you know, it sounds like we're getting off of the track of soccer, but we're really not. Spot on. This is exactly where we want to be. Because in the Legends Club, we're asking our players consistently, play by play, to be a queen of the chessboard. You know, somebody that is able to dominate the game, you know, and where other players are going sideways and backwards and playing like a pawn, we are asking them to go, you know, massively forwards, take huge risks, break lines, figure out the chaos, you know, and be adventurous, be brave, be creative, be a leader, you know, and, and attack life and, and, you know, suck the very marrow out of the bones of the practice. You know, in training to suck the very marrow out of the bones of lifelong existence. Does that make sense? That was really good. I don't think I've ever heard that one. It is rare that you say something that I haven't heard at least 10 times. Well, <laughs> according to most people, it's rare that I say something that's remotely intelligent, you know, especially <laughs> traditional soccer coaches. So, <laughs> no, I, that makes a ton of sense. And like when you think, when you think about it that way, right? Like no, nobody sets out to coach a soccer team to be like, ah, I'm going to create a bunch of pawns here, right? When you think about it that, from that perspective, I don't even mean from a soccer perspective, you think about it from a coach perspective. I actually think they do. Well, they, they I wouldn't, think they they wouldn't admit to it. They wouldn't they, admit to it. They, 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 they see it differently. I think, I think they, a lot of coaches have no problem saying, hey, I'm going to get two, three really good players and then a bunch of workers. I think there are a lot of coaches that admit that and have no problem saying that. Maybe I'm too I, idealistic. I think a lot, of, a lot of coaches are cynical. They just want to pay the bills. You know, I, I see them in college coaching all the time. You know, they want to at least get a 60-40 record so they can't be fired. You know, and, and that, you know, and bringing somebody on board that shakes things up, you know, the great deceptive dribbler goal scorer, sure. you know, it, you know that's something that is outside of their sphere of understanding. You know, they watch Leo Messi on television, but they don't know how to coach a Leo Messi. They don't know how to handle a Leo Messi. They don't even know how to integrate a Leo Messi into their rote learning system, a rote playing system. You know, and so they're kind of frightened by the creativity because that puts their very ability to feed their family at risk. And that's what happens to a lot of people when you introduce money into the equation. You have a foreign body that has to, you know, take a lot of your attention. You know, instead of just focusing on the family, you have to focus it on how to pay for the family's bills. How to put money away for your kids to go to college. You know, not just feeding them, not just putting a roof over the head, not just the basics, but, you know, the, you know, the things you need to pay for to complete the job. And I've got something here that, uh, you know, obviously I think it's, it's very interesting because um, this podcast focuses on soccer's role in developing a multitude of positive character traits with a special emphasis on brave creative leadership development as often neglected as we were talking about by coaches, but it is a, a vital part of a complete childhood education. And a lifetime of study and practical experience leads me to believe that the perfect developmental environment involves the following combination. One at the core is loving parents and family. You know, with a secure environment free of serious fear. Serious fear is important. You may be asking what I mean by serious fear. For example, doing things with a high risk of serious physical or psychological injury is serious fear. You know, and I'm not advocating for that. You've never once, you know, pretended to drown me while coaching right exactly you know i think you know people that do things that can potentially result in death are a little bit insane and let's take <laughs> a little bit <laughs> i would say dumb but <laughs> both um, i don't know flirting with death is second nature as, as much as i admire alex honald are you familiar with that name no i've never heard that name before. he's the guy that free climbed el capitan in yosemite valley did he die? No. Oh, okay. Not no. yet. He's still alive. <laughs> he keeps doing it. He will. And you know what free climbing means? You, you, yeah, you don't pay to climb, right? No. He <laughs> I actually thought you were serious for a moment. That was pretty good. You know, free climbing is where you're not roped. Hmm. You know, if you fall, you're dead. 
You know, you can, See you, you're not even wearing a parachute. Yeah. You, know, you know, if I was free climbing, I'd at least have a parachute. Which, speaking of the Super Bowl, Rihanna was up on that high thing and like she had that big jacket on. I think it was meant to double as a parachute in case you were to fall. No, she had, she had a... She was pregnant. No, so she, and she, she had, just she had something. All over. Yeah, but her, but but she she, she yeah, was hanging on something. Yeah, yeah, but if that came undone, the last oh, they, they was had, the jacket doubled as a parachute. They had her roped it's the just, whole time. Yeah, you, but if the rope came undone, the jacket doubled as a parachute. That's all I'm saying. You but think? Ca- carry, that's that's how I see it. Uh, carry on. Questionable. <laughs> so as as much as I admire what Alex Honnold did, you know, and I, you know, and. He I won, don't. I think it's dumb. He he won an Oscar for it. He made a movie about that, and he won an Oscar for it. Are you it. sure he didn't die? I feel like a free climber died. Well, that was Todd was Skinner. Famous. No, but another one. Todd Skinner wasn't a free climber. I you know I'm I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that a bunch of free climbers have died. <laughs> you know, but Alex Holland is is the king of all free climbers, okay. and he doesn't do it anymore for now. You know, so yeah, okay. you know, sooner or later, like Todd Skinner, he'll die. You know, he would have died. <laughs> You know, and you know that's too much of a risk. I mean, we're not advocating that anybody should die. Um, you know, uh, he pushed the edge of the envelope to a ridiculous degree. You know, you know that's you know something that we're not advocating for when we talk about you know establishing an environment of fear. We're talking about establishing an an environment of fear which can be conquered, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's, you know, the the first uh, requirement for what we do is nothing must come easy to our players. Each time they step into one of our practices, they've got to step into the practice with doubt and with an element of I've got to conquer this fear i've got to take it to the next level well do you mean do you mean that 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 like i i oftentimes think and tell other coaches step one is to get the kids to fail like right like step one like the six the actually the the measuring stick the data point we're looking for is that kids can fail and so we ask them to do skills they failed we cheer them on awesome you tried it that's the point is that what you mean when you talk about like a a a, a connection with um um, with being scared, recognizing that failure is part of it? Yeah, you know, and soccer played creatively is peppered with smaller positive risks. You know, getting fouled, losing the ball, making embarrassing mistakes, etc. You know, these are positive risks, you know, and, you know, the, the ideal youth environment is full of performance challenges that have few negative long-term consequences, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, but most coaches train their kids to keep possession without risk. Sideways, backwards, play the way you're facing, you know, and, you know, look for that one opportunity to win the game instead of trying to, you know, score 8, 10, 20 goals in a game, you know, because you're constantly trying to break lines, taking people on, doing really creative things, you know, and, and I think that's very sad for the kids that are involved with coaches like that. You know, it, winning is everything to those coaches. Um, so the first thing is that, that loving parents in an environment free of serious fear. The second thing is, you know, an education is paramount. And uh, you know, I think a creative Montessori type of childhood schooling experience, and I say here at least five or 10 hours a week, uh, with lots of exploration and problem solving um, and, and an almost complete absence of rote learning. Rote being A, B, C, D, E, F, G, beating it into the kid's brain in a boring way. You know, you know that is defining. So, you know, we've got to educate kids to be creative. And the way I was brought up was largely rote. And I hated school. You know, and it wasn't that, you know, I was completely unintelligent and unable to handle the topics being taught. My mind was just all over the place when I was a kid. I wanted to be somewhere else because it was so boring. You know, it was so rote, you know, it was so robotic, you know, and it didn't tickle my taste buds. You know, it didn't get me creatively involved. Um, The third thing is 
Exposure to a diverse range of social theories, opinions, and philosophies with special emphasis on differing cultures, history, politics, attitudes towards sex, religion, and all manner of other societal phenomena. You know, and most kids are brought up without that type of exposure. You know, they are corridored, they're limited. Instead of introducing kids to a wider range of very important topics, a lot of parents actually corridor them away from things that they believe their kids shouldn't see, which is a massive risk because later on, when they discover those things, you know, they're going to find those things fascinating, you know, and if they discover those things as a 16-year-old, you know, they might engage in some of those things that, you know, they shouldn't engage in because they haven't already built a solid understanding of the dangers of some of these things. I was reading an NPR program on, you know, drugs, you know, in Mexico and how, you know, it's almost impossible to detect, you know, the import of these drugs, you know, fentanyl, things of this nature in a pill form, you know, and you've got to expose your kids to discussions and arguments and theories about, you know, drug taking and fentanyl in order to have them make an intelligent decision as they're, they're going through the experimentation adolescent years not to get involved in something that can be that dangerous and that devastating to an ability to live a healthy life, you know, and so that exposure is really important for a fun dynamic, and this is where we get back to soccer, a fun dynamic early childhood sports program, you know, and, you know, I feel like after watching and working in the preschool environment uh, in order to build Happy Feet as, as a uh, international phenomenon, I feel like you and I, you know, not to cut you out, Philippe, but you weren't heavily involved with Happy Feet. You, Andrew, and I um, have um, seen an early childhood sports program work as it should be, capturing the imagination, getting the kids a massive amount of ball touches, getting them an early introduction to the most difficult fakes and moves in, you know, the, the world soccer curriculum, you know, and, you know, building that physical superiority that every kid should be building at that age, but is getting rarer and rarer with the use of our phones as babysitters, you know, so an early childhood sports program, preferably happy feeder, you know, because it's so story oriented and so brilliant in capturing the imagination. And then um, a fun game-based early childhood acting and voice program because kids that are involved in, you know, for example, our Shining Stars program, they grow up without fear of public speaking, without fear of putting themselves out there in front of a crowd and taking a leadership role. Um, a loving, challenging, and diverse academic experience. The Waldorf method is fantastic. If you study it, you know, and read about it and look into it, it's, it's a wonderful method of optimizing people's mature educational potential. Uh, and, and this is where we come in, a brave, creative, leadership-focused club soccer experience with a combination of fun, fairness, play, chaos, creativity, extreme challenge, and intense competition at its core. One that is progressively designed to teach children to handle escalating degrees of fatigue, frustration, physical and psychological stress in a positive manner. Also emphasizes elements that define the margin of soccer and life greatness. Aggressive creativity, self-discipline, competitive fire, self-belief. And C uses a competitive cauldron approach that teaches and demands creative individual and individualism and leadership through intelligent risk, failure, and encouragement to experiment with ever more difficult challenges. Is that something you agree with? Yeah, everybody listening should rewind it 
a minute and listen to that back again. Listen to that back again, thinking, you know, as we wrap up this episode here, thinking specifically... But I've got so much more to deal with. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to save it for the next one. And that's what you always say, and we never get to it. Uh, we'll save it, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> but, let, two. but, let, me, but let me wrap this up. Uh, How do you save it dishonestly? <laughs> Uh, as we wrap that up, go back and listen to the last minute, but listen to it from a perspective of brave, creative leadership. Because if, if we achieve one thing from you listening to this episode, the one thing we'd like you to, to like to achieve is you to think back to your coaching. Think back to the sessions that you run, the, the families that you encounter, and, 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 and the kids that you work with on a weekly basis. And are you helping them to become more brave, more willing to take on risk? Are you helping them to become more creative in thought for how they solve problems? And I'm not talking about the field. I'm talking about every everywhere in all aspects. And if and if you are doing that, if you are helping them to become more brave, more willing to get out of their comfort zone, to take on risk, no fear of failure, and and that produces a kid that that is 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 creative in thought and willing to address problems in a unique way, you're developing leaders. And those leaders are leaders for life. Um, and and when you listen to that last minute and you think about it that perspective, I think all of us myself included, could do a better job, a better job of impressing upon our kids the, the, the need for brave, creative thought processes that, that, that leads to leadership in life. Um, and when we think about it that way, when we think about the top of the mountain backwards, the most important objective, why we're doing what we're doing, um, we can really have an impact that, that is, is pretty substantial and great. So, Can I add one thing to that? Sure. So if, if when you're coaching players, your goal is okay, I'm going to make all these players go pro. It's not realistic. You look at each birth year and, you know, you can count how many professional soccer players are in America. It's not many. So odds are you might put maybe one, two, or none. Um, but even let's think that you did. Professional soccer players retire at 35, 36, 37. The best ones. Yeah. And, you know, what's after? So if the goal is just to develop players, you know, most of them will stop in high school or college or maybe pro. But people leave until 70, 80, 90, you know. And that's you, – you can't think just for the next 15 years what are you going to do for these kids. You got to think what are you going to do for their whole lives. And with that, that will help them be better parents, better grandparents, and better people uh, for the society. So that has to be the goal. Uh, soccer is fun. We love it. And – Obviously, we want to make the kids the best version of themselves on the field as possible. But most importantly, they need to be the best version of themselves off the field. For T sure. Todd Skinner, in his wonderful book, Beyond the Summit. When Todd, Todd Skinner, rest in peace. When I'm talking the, about build, uh, uh, climbing the mountain from the, from the top backwards, right. this is who I'm talking about, this yeah, book. Th th this book is incredible. You know, rest in peace, Todd. You know, you've influenced me to an incredible degree and I'm sure millions of other people. He puts it this way, that, you know, we are in a, a lifelong ascent, if we live our lives fully, of the ultimate mountain. And that changes. It's not about winning the next game. Yeah. It, it changes one's perspective if they keep stopping and thinking about, am I currently doing something, you know, which means I'm making progress in the lifelong ascent of the ultimate mountain, you know, and and so he climbed a a, a peak in the Himalayas that wasn't as high as Everest, but it was the most intense technical climbing on the planet that had never been done before, because it was so amazingly difficult, and he and his team got trapped up there during the worst storm in decades. They were trapped up there for weeks in pub tents on the side of this mountain. Talk about the ultimate mountain in a lifelong ascent. You know, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, in every way, an individual that lived his opinions, you know, and the things he wrote about in Beyond the Summit. You know, he wasn't somebody that just preached about it you know, you know, in church on Sundays, you know, he's somebody that actually went out there and faced his demons, faced the world's demons. 
And and so, you know, are we at the point where we need to wrap up? Yeah. Okay, so let me, let me, you know, are you okay with me making a finishing statement? Sure. Okay. Leaders and mentors must stand out. Encouraging outstanding personal qualities should be at the heart of any educational environment. Environments that encourage gray or brown conformity discourage the qualities that are universally accepted as necessary for creative leadership. In youth sports, should we be focused on winning the game? Or is it better to develop creative, courageous, intelligent, moral, determined characters for life? In the Legends program, defining our true objective as brave, creative leadership for life has helped us develop the most effective character-optimizing curriculum. We believe that young soccer players can either win or optimize their potential. At the earlier ages and stages, they simply can't do both simultaneously. Life is an ever-changing dynamic. Life is a reality chess game. Amongst other things, it's also a math equation, a spiritual conundrum and field of battle. In most group activities, there are multiple pawns. For example, pupils, worshippers, low-ranked soldiers. There are several intermediate pieces. Teachers, church officials, officers. However, there are very few school principals, church leaders, military commanders. Legends for Life shows how the training soccer legends curriculum uses the platform of the world's most popular sport to develop the human equivalent of the most important piece on the chessboard. Legends players become a combination of the school principal, spiritual leader of the church, or general. Mature and intelligent humans can switch between and combine life's influences and moments in a positive and productive manner. Our Legends approach is cutting edge, a peerless method designed to turn every player into a tremendously brave and creative leader for life. And that is the ultimate justification, not speaking for anybody else, for my existence. Well said. Well said. Um, You guys can do it. Go out. Help your kids become more brave, more creative, um, and use soccer as a vehicle to do do the do such. Uh, Philippe, great episode. Welcome back from Florida, Andy. Good luck next week with your dentures appointment, and uh, I'll see you guys in a couple <laughs> weeks when I get back from Mexico. You had to abuse me last thing, didn't you? Bye, guys. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>